Welcome to the Biblical Editorial Review. Here we will discuss the contrast between two worldviews, one being biblical and the other being worldly. How does a follower of Christ distinguish between the two? And now here's your host. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Editorial Review. My name is Cleveland Rose and I want to thank each and every one of you to be part of this wonderful radio experience. Hey guys, I really do thank each and every one of you who've been listening in to the Biblical Editorial Review when I do be on the air. And I really do appreciate that 100%. I also want to tell you guys that it's really a true honor and a privilege to have someone that do listens to what you have to say about things. But, you know, it's always some good stuff that comes behind them and also some bad. I'm going to tell you right now, and this is the truth that happened. When we did the new series, and we're going to continue on the series tonight about on the Biblical Editorial Review, a lot of uh, flat come. A lot of people didn't like what I had to say about black, 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 black. And the main reason is because we are here on some sacred cows, especially the things that's going on with the church. Um, I have a friend who will be one of the, my guests next week um, on the Biblical Editorial Review on black, 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 black. Um, and we... He really brings in the truth about what's going on here. I'm going to read this email to you because I need to give you the premises of why this is very important. And we was talking and he's really, 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 really uh, intrigued about what we was talking about. And I'm going to read this here about... The, uh, what is really going on here? Um, he says he just got through listening to my broadcast. He said I learned a lot mainly because my focus since I became born again has been on God's agenda, advancing His kingdom here on earth, not the black agenda. Now I am saying that this isn't a black agenda, but because there is, and I'm not going to say I'm not saying that there is ain't any issues among. Among because people, because obviously there are. What I'm I'm saying is that for athletes and people who identify as black to handle, there's no longer the agenda of people who are in the body of Christ. Are you well known and articulate? Are you well known and articulate? We're supposed to be about Christ's agenda. There is an angle I want to take to declare to the listening audience that if you identify as black, you are truly born again. Then God can't and won't use you because you're claiming Christ while working against his interests. It should send up huge red, red flags to blacks who profess Christ as their beloved. Democrat part is on the wrong side as God will see it of abortion, divine, uh, divine sexual behavior, or constitutional adherence to God, family, and country. Just stars, but it doesn't. Now he said you get you gave a great historical reason why. 
Now I understand for the first time why so many black people who reject Christianity have said to me for decades that the Bible was written by white men to control slaves. I never really understood that because, duh, it's obvious that the Bible was written centuries before America even came to be. Now I understand that is their biblical ignorance. They're they 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 not understanding that Democrats and the blacks involved in the birth of the African Methodist Episcopal movement were twisting scripture to reach the end, keeping slaves from escaping to the north, which is what I believe your premises was. Thank you, brother. You have brought in so much clarity on what you have said about the things that was going on with churches today. You're right. Almost nearly so many churches around every corner, but no fruit has come out of it. How can you say you are of Christ when Christ is not even involved with the things that is not of his agenda? Thank you again. Hopefully that you will see that when you do your second part of Black, 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 it will be much more riverent to the truth of what you're going to say. I really do appreciate uh, that listener who wrote that email. I'm really, 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 really astonished and glad that God has brought this to the forefront about what is really going on here. Yeah, I got some nasty emails too, lots of them, but that one was a pivotal point. It's a lot of African Americans or blacks or Negroes or you no know, color, whatever you want to say. See, those those premises and, and those things that were said is not really what God's talking about. See, it's not gonna have a black side of heaven, a white side of heaven a Latino side or whatever side. It's going to be the God holy side. That's it. It's no side. It's going to be the kingdom's business. And what's going on today, and it's been going on for so long, that we have so many people harper on black, 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 black stuff. So even the, the former president, Obama, Claim to be black, but he's interracial. That tells you that it's identity crisis in our conscience. And the problem we have is that we don't live by our country. We live by society. We don't live by what God has to say. We live by what the world has to say. We live. We don't live by what the what the scriptures have to tell us to live by, we live by what the devil tells us what we should live by, and the list goes on. This is the problem here. The biggest problem we have right now is that we are living in sin, and it's really, really sad that we're living in a sinful um, environment that God wants us to understand that we can't be of the world. It goes back to Romans chapter 12. And he literally put the the premises through Paul about what it looks like to be uh, transformed. Just read this here because, see, sometimes we sit here and pretend that we know what the word God had to say about certain things. 
But that's not really what people was trying to indicate here because God's word is absolute. So why are we trying so hard to change the word? Why are we trying so hard to try to change things that God had to say? Why? Why are we working so hard to do that? Well, because people don't want to hear God. They literally don't want to hear God. I'm going to read this here to give you a premises of what it really means. And I'm just start out with scripture and I'm going to get into some stuff tonight that could make you really angry. Here he is. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Let's start with verse one. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That means black, white, doesn't matter what color. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Think about that for a minute. People use the scriptures so much and they're trying to, let's say, prey on the ignorance of people. But the Bible is, is, is just for that, for people who don't know him. And that's why when you become a child of God, the Bible becomes relevant in your life. Like this here, a lot of people don't read what verse 3 says. For I say, there are through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. That goes with anybody who's haughty, who think themselves above. It's a lot of people in those churches, not just AME, but all the churches that has a lot of black influence in are thinking highly of themselves. I have, I know it's one church think they are greater than any church around. Using the word greater, trying to pre preempt saying manifest. And they look at that's not God because God is greater, but they think you should be greater. You are great in God, but God is greater than anything in this world. You can't put yourself like God. And a lot of people said you misquote what they were saying. No, that's exactly what they're saying here. And that's why it's not biblical sound. So think about here. It's a lot of churches act like that. And that's why a lot of them vote. The way they vote, they uh, their actions speak louder than their words. They said they are against abortion, but they vote for people who do abortion. They said they against homosexual and uh, same sex marriage, but they vote for the same people who do who is for that. And we could go down and list of the things that they say they are against, but they vote like that because they are in an identity crisis here. And the main reason why they are in an identity crisis is because they are the ones don't know God. Read more. For as we are many members of one body, but all the members do not have the same function. 
black and white, brown, blue, whatever. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. And if prophecy, let us prophesy. And in prohibition of a faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, who gives with uh, li uh, um, liberty, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's what it says. Let's continue on here. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. This is what's going on in the church. There's a lot of hypocrisy going on in the church. That's why a lot of people don't want to deal with churches today. It's a lot of hypocrisy going on in churches, especially in black churches. And that's why it shouldn't be a black church. It should be a it should not be a white church, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. It should be one body, one faith, one gospel, one Lord. We don't need all these churches. What is the agenda? Yes, I have a darker skin uh, complexion, but that's all I have. But I'm a believe I'm a Christian just like this other brother who got a a, a, a liar screen, uh, um, skin complexion. I have. What do we need to be in envorp ourselves into believing? This is the problem we have in the body of Christ. And it's not just, it's happening in many denominations. Southern Baptist is one. The AME is another. Church of God Christ. I could go down the list. It's a lot of them. All these denominations doesn't uh, bring a clarity to the Bible. You don't need all these denominations. You really don't. But people say we have to. Why? Why, why are we not Christians? Yes, I understand about the prosperity gospel. It's evil. That's an evil gospel. One, this gospel is evil. The, the Reformation, um, the um, affirmation, the apostolic Reformation movement is evil. All kinds of things that are going on with reparations, the social justice movement, and the list goes on. Those things are evil. But the Bible is relative. It is not just relative, it is absolute. It's so absolute. How come we can't get to that point? That's the problem we have. So think about it. Let's go finish up let's, uh, uh, verse 9 of chapter 12 of Romans. Let Love be well hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Is it good to be a Christian? Yes. Is it good to follow Christ? Yes. What's the problem? Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another, not lacking in diligence, fragrant in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patience, in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, dis distributing to the needs 
of the saints. Give it to hospitality. That's what we're supposed to be behaving like a believer is supposed to do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things. So a lot of people do that. But associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. It's a lot of people act like that, especially in black churches. I'm saying it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people in the church act like that. Let's continue on here. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Not a certain type of people. With all. If it's possible, as much depends on, look at this, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as dependent on you, live peacefully, peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to Ralph. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will I repay, said the Lord. See, this is why you do if you know this is what's wrong with blacks who are racist. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals on of fire on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why is it so important to have that kind of understanding? Because God told us that we should not exemplify that kind of life of trying to become like the person who's your enemy. It's so many people, so many folks, especially blacks, literally act like that. They act like every white person is evil and every person that doesn't agree or do anything for them is, is uh, racist. Literally. No, just no. Recently, it was um, a young man. His brother got murdered. Was was killed by a off duty officer. She thought the person was at her apartment, and what happened was she shot first. Come to find out that she was in the wrong apartment, killing the person. Well, the jury found found her guilty for a first-degree murder. Probably it was first or second degree, but I don't know. It was murder. 
in Texas is different from other uh, other uh, laws in the country. But I digress. Well, let me tell you how powerful this child, this 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 man did. Now, this is what the believer did. Now, a lot of people, a lot of blacks, even pastors, went on and just can't candidate on this boy. Larry did was saying that why he forgave him her like that. The boy gave her forgiveness. See, see I don't he said, I don't hate you. I don't. I want to get right with God. I will ask you, I love you. I want you to get right with God. And once you get right with God, you will see true love. So he gave her love. I forgave you. I forgive you for what you had done. Even when they asked, I mean, a lot of people was asking him questions. Even, even um, Mike uh, 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 Strahan from Good Morning America was so surprised that he forgave. He said, who, who prompted me that? God prompted him. That's the, he said, that's the right thing to do. If my brother was alive, he'll say that's the right thing to do. I remember when the uh, people from CNN was getting mad, uh, was trying to make it to be race. The father, the father said, that's the right thing he did. We forgave her. Mother was a different story. She lost her baby. That was her baby. She lost her baby, and she felt a little bit different. However, the father, which is the head of the home, did what's right, saying, we forgave her. But it's a lot of people was on this call this boy, call this man, this young man, Uncle Tom and everything. But you said this is a, he, he did not look at her race. He looked at the fact this is a human being who needs Jesus. That right there means so much. And, you know, it's sad that you got people who are pastors claiming to be of of the lord condemning this boy this man i'm sorry i'm sorry condemning him for forgiving this woman because she's white it was the people on cnn this congressman State congressman really went there. I mean, you know, if CNN had to go and be, really want to bring race into it, they had to look for the low, low and get someone that is not really worth talking to. And it's a lot more like that than, than CNN and more and other places too. And he says some stuff about this man. And it's really, 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 really reprehensive for him to say. He said, we shouldn't be, be the ones 
they initiate uh, forgiveness. They should do that to us. They they should be forgive, They should be asking us to um, no. They should be apologizing to us for all the things they have done to us. That's hatred. But this is what is going on here, and this is really the purposes of what we need to talk about here. The premises is this. We live in in a place in our in our uh, country, in our world, in our you name it. That we live in here And we don't know why we are standing for. A lot of times we get uh, so caught up in a lie, we believe it is true. We do. Not only do we believe in the lie, but we also trying to force people to believe in that lie with us. And that's really reprehensive because that to me tells us we don't have a foundation with the word. They really do. And when you think about it, I'm gonna get to I'm gonna get to something here that has really, really profound proportions here. About why are we so emblazoned and want to stand up for sin? We do. I'm going to get into some deep stuff tonight um, because there's a lot that needs to be said. Um, I do want to tell the truth on not me, but tell the truth to Americans, all who listen in all over the world. Tell the truth about blacks. Question I keep getting up from a lot of you guys who listen, uh, our counterparts, and everyone else, they ask me a question, a great question. And to be honest, I want to give it to them, even right now, before I get to the break here. They ask a good question, a very great question. I, I got emails that prove it. Here's the question they ask. Cleveland, are black people racists? That's a good question. You know, so many people keep saying, no, they're not. That's a lie. Yeah, they are. Most of them are racist. Cleveland, why they are racist? Well, because sin. It's just like when they talk about white people racist, they are too. But I'm going to get a little bit deep with this tonight. And the main reason I'm going to get a little bit deep because I want you guys to know who are the racists. And I want to also break something down that people don't want to break down. Who is the racist? And once we give you the premises of the races and who they are, 
you will see why the, the, the civil rights movement was just not what it is or any kind of thing that kind of brings down the common denominator of what it is. You know, it got some people who are, say, who are conservatives that believes in some of the things that the uh, that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was doing back during the time of the civil rights movement. But I don't think a lot of people understand what literally happened, the truth behind all of that. And, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people live to this day, and that's why we got all this crap called the Black Lives Matter, which is a lie. But the problem we have here is really a huge problem. Nobody's not telling the truth. So I'm going to dig a little bit deep tonight because this is going to be the first installment of the sinful rights movement. Why is it sinful? Why is it so sinful? Well, because think about it. The sinful part of it is that, and I remember this uh, one pastor I go to church with, and he was telling me if God was really with blacks, all the stuff they went through through the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, going into the 70s, if they went to God about it, if God was in it, God will deliver them from it. It will be the mess it is today. He's right. And you know, I'm going to tell you the, the, the funny trip there about that. The man is a black man. Stay tuned. We got much more to talk about tonight on the on this subject matter. America, get ready. In the shadows, they wait. Demons born in darkness. Hunters by instinct. Cold-blooded by nature. Their bite unavoidable. Their grip inescapable. They slither and stalk their competition, luring all who challenge them into the jaws of defeat. The Tampa Bay Vipers, ready to strike, February 2020. The XFL is coming. For more information, stay tuned to the RCR Radio Network. Botham John's brother, Brant, joins us along with his attorney, Lee Merritt from Dallas. And Brant, we, we want to say thank you both for joining us. And Brant, we're sorry for the loss that your family has had to endure. And I want to start with that moment. You were on the stand, you're talking about the impact of your brother's death. His killer is right across from you and you wanted to give her a hug. What made you make that decision to ask for a hug? Um, I knew that I just told her that I forgave her. And with usual instances, the words only, they don't, they mean something, but I, I felt like that wasn't enough. And that was just my gesture, that my decision of saying, my decision to make that, my decision of letting her know that I truly forgive her. And that was just my way, no one else's way, my decision 
and you this said, is my way of letting her know that she is truly forgiven. We don't know if she may commit suicide in the future. We don't know what's going to happen. I just felt like I had to make, I had to get that point across to her. And you said that your brother was a kind and compassionate man. So what do you think he would have thought of that moment? Yeah, I honestly think he was for it. No, no, nothing else. And, and when you two were embracing, it looked as if you were speaking quietly to each other. Can you can you tell us what was said? Kind words. I can't. I can't. I can't say. And and we, we respect that. And so many. There's some people who are not ready to forgive her. So what can you say to those people who are not ready to forgive Amber Geiger? Just like each and every one has steps to get towards actually forgiving. I probably went through those faster than other people. Yeah. Some people went through it faster than me. Um, if you are trying to forgive her, understand that she is a human being. She still deserves love. She made a mistake that she probably truly forgets, um, regrets. So. If you want to forgive her, just understand that God forgive you, forgave you. And I know that every time I ask God for forgiveness, he forgives me. So who am I to not forgive someone who asks? I waited one year to hear I'm sorry, and I'm grateful for that. And it's, you know, that's why I forgive her. And what do you hope others learn from that moment in court? Because, you know, a lot of everyone has been talking about this moment. I think there's, there's something there for everyone to, to take from it. And what do you hope that people learn from that moment? This is what you have to do to set yourself free. You know, I didn't really plan on um, living the rest of my life, you know, hating this woman. I know that there's something called peace of mind and that's the, that's the type of stuff you need to do to have peace of mind. That is why I wake up happy in the morning. That is why I want to live happy later on in my life. And I want to bring in your family attorney, Lee Merritt. And Lee, you represent the family. And were there, there are some mixed emotions about the hug. Yeah, yeah, there are. And, you know, there's mixed emotions within the family itself. Um, as Brent explained it to me this morning, it really it really hit home for me. He he wanted not only to forgive her in words, but he wanted to wanted her to believe him. So just saying it, she may not be convinced. So he asked to sh to give a physical display of that forgiveness, so that she would be free, and so that he could authentically be free. Now everyone in that family is hurting desperately because they love both Michelle, uh, and they won't be able to get past that hurt if they can't forgive their killer, uh, his killer. They believe that, I believe that. And so it was an important first step. And I, I mean, it was, I'm, I'm ex exceptionally proud of him. And he taught me something in that moment. Well, well Lee, does, does the family feel that justice was served in this case? We, we believe in, in the legal system. We believe in, in the, the, the domain of the jurors. Um, we hoped uh, we agreed with the district attorney that it should have been on the upper end of the spectrum, that the sentence should have been closer to 28 years than 10 years. That would be that would be closer to justice, but that is a, a whole separate conversation from the spiritual release of forgiveness. 
And um, we, I just want, I want to thank you both for joining us in, in the midst of a, a, a tough time. Brant, you know you're going to follow your brother's footsteps. You're going to his alma mater, alma mater, Harding University. want to wish you and your family well, young man. And Lee, thank you so much for joining us. And um, thank you. Godspeed, you guys. Thank you so much. And what, what an incredible lesson in forgiveness. And, and as he said, I'm at this point. I understand other people are not at this point. And that's a, a teenager, basically, who has that, that process of, of life and, and, and all these things. real emotional maturity. An important point distinguishing there between justice and mercy. Yeah. We have a lot to learn from him. <clears throat> Thank you so much to be part of this biblical editorial review. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you heard that young man's testimony. And I'm glad that you heard that because this is something that is not being taught in churches today. A lot of churches now wants to bring a lot of the SJW movements. And when you have that going on, you miss the whole point of the gospel. And that's really the problem now. That's that a lot of people don't know the gospel no more. They want to hear the social justice gospel, but they don't want to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus uh, was one of the biggest components of the gospel that we have now. In our present day and present time, people don't want to hear about the gospel because gospel make you change your mind about sin. And when you have sin predicated into your life, you have a lot of issues going on here. A lot of the things that you see in people today really result in that they don't want to hear about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They just keep on rehearsing certain scriptures to try to proclaim something, but don't read the word and actually know the gospel behind of it. Some people are topical when it comes to the, the, the blunt truth about the Bible, because when you have the truth about the, the Bible, um, no, it's really, really, really scary because everything has so much to do when it comes to God and his word. So it's a, so many synopsis that is so bent forth on the real reason why God really do want people to understand some things about his word, which leads me to this whole point here. Um, some of the stuff that I seen and read, and I'm gonna read a little bit because I know I talk about on the previous shows on the biblical editorial review about this this um the the woke Christianity, the black the black liberation theology, and how these things are evil. And you wonder what is going on. How come blacks don't realize that they are not separate? Okay. And you trying to separate African or black, Negro, whatever you want to say, Americans, and you forget 
these other Americans. You forget it's other people. When we become Christians, we are the, the color barriers doesn't matter no more. What matters is, is the main thing is Father God. So I don't understand something here. Well, I do, but I want to really put into this whole concept. I'm being very, very, very careful to really put into this premises on the truth that you literally what it is. And I'm going to read this here. And you need to understand the premises of this theology. This theology that has eluded people. And this same theology was preached upon years. Okay? And when you have that theology, it's race-based. This is the problem we have. But let me tell you this name of it. We already said it before. You probably don't know its name, but you're familiar with it because Barack Obama's pastor preached about it. Chance the Rapper raps about it. Cornel West writes about it. And evangelicals are becoming sympathetic about it. You are familiar with black liberation theology and you don't know it. Because it's really, really sad about this. The person who developed this theology, and I'm going to tell you his name so you can get a little clear understanding who he is. And you got to understand who this guy is. For you to understand who this guy is, it will give you so much of what he is. Why this man's evil. This is the part of he's bringing sin into church. Now, I'm going to read this from the evil Wikipedia because Wikipedia is evil. And my people ask, why you call Wikipedia evil? Well, two reasons why. First reason is because Wikipedia, you could change stuff in Wikipedia. You can. And a lot of people depend on Wikipedia because it's content of that change, which is bad. Here he is. His name is James Hell Cone. And he was a theologian, uh, American theologian. That's one problem. Better known as for his advocacy for black theology and black liberation theology. His 1969 book, Black Theology, Black Power, Black, 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 provides a new way of comprehensively defining the distinctiveness of theology in the Black church. His message was that Black Power defines a Black, defines as Black people a certainly humanity that white supremacy deny was the gospel of America. That's not true, but that's what he said. 
Jesus came to liberate the oppressed, advocating the same thing as black power. He argued that white American churches preach a gospel based on white supremacy and antithetical to the gospel of Jesus, which is another lie. <laughs> this guy was evil. Combs worked with influentials from the time of book publication, and his work remains influential today. His work has been both used and critiqued inside out the, Ameri the African American theological community. He was the <clears throat> Charles Augustus Briggs Distinguished Professor in Sympathetic Theology at Union Theological Seminary until his death. This guy believes in this, but let me tell you something about him that you need to know. Let's give a little bit of his history according to the evil Wikipedia. And once you get to the little bit more, we're going to continue on of why this is evil. And Collins was born in Forsyth, Arkansas and grew up in a racial segregated town uh, breeding in Arkansas. Okay. Or Berendon, Arkansas. It's called Berendon, Arkansas. His family attend Macedonia African Methodist Episcopal. Now, we talked about that last week. He attend Shore College, a small AME church junior college, before receiving a Bachelor of Arts degree in Philander Smith College in 1958, where he is where he, his mentor, he was mentored by. James and Alice Borak. I want you to know why that's important. Okay. These are the people that mentor him. In his 20, uh, 2018 memoir, said it wasn't going to tell nobody. Cone wrote that he were he that there were they were the first white he met who respect his humanity. James and Alice Boag are, let me, let's get a little history of who these guys are. So you can give a little bit understanding of who this guy is. Now, he, if you look at him, he died recently. Um, the man was a liberal. He was a bit time socialist, him and his wife. They were sympathizers, but they was looking for someone like him. He did mention James and Alice Bullock. But we'll continue on here. We, we're not going to go any further here with that. So, although he did, he, he decided against parish ministry, their advice led him to obtain a Bachelor of Divinity degree from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in 1961 and Masters of Arts and doc, Doctor of Philosophy degrees from Northwestern University in 1963 and 1965. Respectfully, he was shocked to learn that more Northern whites would not treat him with respect like the Borlats. Yet, he was excited to learn that unfamiliar learned to of unfamiliar theologians, controversies, and biblical study methodologies. 
at the urge of and with support from the white theologians William Horton at Gary, he applied and gained acceptance in the doctorate program in theology. He taught theology and religion in Philander School of uh, Smith College, Adrian College, and began in, in the beginning in the beginning in 1970 Union Theological Seminary in New York City, New York, where he awarded the distinguished Charles A. Bridge Chair in Sympathetic Theology. And if you want to know, it's a it's the discipline of Christian theology that formulates an orally rational and coherent accounts of the doctrine of Christian faith. It addresses issues such as what the Bible teaches on certain topics and what the tr- uh, what is true about God and his universe. Which, in other words, this is where the social justice gospel come from. Um, let me see here. In, that's in 1977, 2018, he was elected the fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Science. Now, calling his wife, Rose, Rose Hamblin, married in 1958 and divorced in 1977. They had two sons, Michael and Charles, and two daughters, Crystal and Robin. In 1979, Colin married Sandra Gibbs, who died in 1983. He died in uh, April 28, 2018. Now, let's go on and get to the bare bones about this theology here. Okay, so you give a little bit more on the, the things here. Now, remember, we was talking about it was developed in 1960 during the Black Power Movement. Okay, as a reaction to evangelical apathy on racial injustice. In his book, Black Theology and Black Power, James Cone explains how he found his theology. Quote, for me, the burning theological question was, how can I reconcile Christianity and black power? Martin Luther King Jr. ideal, Jr.'s idea of nonviolence and Malcolm by any means necessary philosophy. The writing of black theology and black power was the beginning of my search for a resolution of that dilemma. Now, anyone who makes a, a prophet out of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm S. is sure to teach another gospel. And that is what James Cone's Black, Black Liberation Theology is, another gospel. It's not Jesus Christ. It's another gospel. Now, how come this is very important? Because this is what you need to understand the most of what's going on in our society today. We have a society that really stagnates into a lie, but don't know the truth about why they do what they do. So that's why we need to be very coherent, you know, very coherent about this, because this stuff here is really, really, really fascinating. And it's not just fascinating into a, in a good way. It's a problem when you have this stuff t- taught in almost every Christian set. And here he is. Now, 
Black Liberation Theology is Martin Luther King's Jr. social gospel. Okay? It was. It still is. Now, a lot of people praise a call, and even I had to really had to um, scratch my words about Dr. Martin Luther King. He did not teach a gospel of reconciliation. No, he didn't. His gospel, his gospel, and I'm not saying the gospel, but his gospel is more divisive, which we need to really talk about the civil rights movement a little bit more and want to know how come the civil rights movement is so messed up to this day. Did it help black people or did it hurt them? Mainly it hurt them, but we will talk about that in a little bit more in the next segment. Let's continue on here because you need to understand why this is important. Remember, we said that the black, the black liberation theology is Martin Luther King's junior social gospel and Malcolm X black nationalism in one. That's what it is. It's like enemies necessary with nonviolence. Pretty much. Black liberation theology is changing the power of God for black people or black power. It's changed the supremacy of Christ for black supremacy. Black liberation theology is built on a foundation of bitterness and victimhood with social justice as its chief cornerstone. That's the problem, right, we have in churches today. Go back to the first part, part one, we was talking about. Let's go on with the churches. Remember, we was talking about the 10 billion dollar mark. Now, all that's the ones that are faithful, literally faithful to give their tithes. All this time you're wondering how in the world that you get 10 billion dollars every Sunday and it's nothing happened in the black community because of this victimhood, social justice, and bitterness. It's the foundation of this kind of theology. Now, in James Cone's theology, black liberation from white oppression is the gospel. This is happening in every way possible, literally. Okay? In his book, Speaking of the Truth, Usingisms, Liberation, and, Be and Black Theology, James Cone said, what else can the crucifix mean except that God, the Holy One of Israel, became identified with the victims of oppression? What else can the resurrection mean except that God's victory in Christ is the poor person's victory over poverty? If Diazzi does not take this seriously, how can his word be worthy of the name Christian? <clears throat> if the church, the community out which Diazzi arises, does not make God's liberation of the oppressed central in its mission and, proc and, and proc proclamation, how can it rest easily with a condemned criminal as 
a dominant symbol of his message. I want you to think about that. Because the his black liberation theology is more alive than ever, more woke than ever in the reformed community. That's why we are still segregated. And I know, I know let me tell you one email that was really amazing with someone emailed me about. They emailed me and said, Cleveland, you talk it down about black people. You sound like one of these white folks who, who hate black people. No, I don't hate black people. How can I hate black people? I hate sin. Just like God hates sin. Why should I? No, I don't hate black people. I don't hate white people. I don't hate no one. I hate sin. I hate stupid people. I really don't hate stupid people. I despise stupid people. Because stupid people know the truth. They just don't want to do it. That's that's really good, good to know. I don't say I hate stupid people. I despise them. Despise is a little bit less than hate. Because with despise, you could get over it. Stupid, no, no, you can't. Hate, you you don't want to get over it. You don't want to get over it. I hate sin. Because sin, like my father in heaven, hates sin. Jesus died for our sins. Why should I be more wrestled with sin? We all was born to it. We did sin. That's why we need Jesus to be our Lord to rescue us from sin. So it's very, very important to understand those uh, parameters. So that's why I said, do I, uh, I hate sin. Do I hate anything? Yes, sin. I have prejudice against sin. I don't like sin because God don't like sin. Now, do am I perfect? No. Never will be. But in the same time, if you understand what God, who God is and nature God is, you will despise sin as well. But this is the problem we have. We trying to condition sin. And the civil rights movement, I believe, is what really comes to sin. Especially almost like blacks got a, no, a, a ticket to continue on sinning. Means have hatred hard hearts against people who did them wrong. See, I keep thinking about what what this pastor, when I was going to this, what church in Kansas City told me. He said, if the civil rights movement was meant, was from God, then God will bring people to go to the Bible and to give them what the word of God says. Go back to Romans chapter 12, right? Start with verse nine. And if you go always to verse nine, it goes to the to the um, verse 21, especially go with verse 20. Right here, verse 17, let's go here. It says, repay no evil, no one evil for evil. Have regard to good things in the sight of all men. Not just because he's white and anything, all men. 
if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceable with all men. It depends on you to make that choice. Remember, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to Ralph, for his written vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does that all mean? It means exactly what this, what the black theological, the bleak, the black liberation theology, is not saying. You see, you only need to read some reform leaders' words on James Cone's death, which that happened at that time, to recognize that many reformed Christians are adopting a form of black liberal theology, a theology that borrows from James Cones and John Calvin, Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, a theology called woke Christianity. Yep. And this is really the sad part about it. It's really destroying lives. But it's been preached every Sunday. Let's continue on here. Well, Christianity is an attempt to reconcile Christianity with Black Lives Matter. It is a theology developed from capitalism with the awareness of social justice, which is evil. It makes liberation from perceived racial injustice a similar message of the gospel. It suggests that a gospel that doesn't address racial injustice is an unbalanced gospel. That's evil. Well, Christianity is a central, essentially a capitalistic social justice, which is capitalist. It's not even a social justice thing. Here is the problem here. Unlike black liberation theology, however, well, Christianity maintains a otherwise orthodox theology. Black liberation theology rejects the inspiration of and inflammability of scripture Woke Christianity does not. Woke Christianity affirms the atonement work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Black liberation theology does not. Black liberty theology suggests that black people are uniquely favored by God. Woke Christianity does not. Woke Christianity rejects Malcolm X's position of white people are white devils, inherently racist. Black liberation theology does not. However, well, Christianity embraces several concerning elements of black liberation theology. For instance, well, Christianity does not entirely reject James Cone's position that black people are in some way morally superior to white people. Woke Christianity subscribes to be prejudice plus power defined definition of racism, suggesting that black people cannot be racist. That's my point here. Now, why is you bringing this up, Cleveland? Because you got to look at what the NAACP and the civil rights movement is entailed to. 
Because everything we are talking about right now subjects into the various things that is happening in our culture today. Here's an example of why I said that. Because you need to understand, like Black liberation theology is, woke Christianity accepts W.E.B. Du Bois' concept of double consciousness, a concept that teaches that we Black people have an internal struggle between um, um, perception of self in light of how others perceive us in a society that oppress Black people. That's double-minded. Therefore, woke Christianity attempts to unify this double consciousness by identifying what it means to be Black and reformed, woke and Christian. Too often, however, this concept leads woke Christians into elevated culture over scripture. Simple as that. So why is it so important to understand these things? Because black theology and woke Christianity are just almost like the same. Only difference is the black ones are more radical than the other. So that's why we need to understand why all of these philosophies that's in stoke into the black church tells me that it's something wrong with the people who teaches this stuff. It's something wrong with the people who literally believes in this stuff. But it also goes a little bit further. It shows that you still have sin among you. You don't have Christ with you. You have sin in you. And how can a loving Lord could save you from sin when you keep on embracing it. I got more to talk about. Stay tuned. America, get ready. In the land of bright lights, far from the flash and fame, they've already begun to prowl, enter their den, and be dominated. Run away and be ripped apart. This is prime time meets primal instinct. This is showtime with a snarl. This is our time to roar. The LA Wildcats, unleashed, February 2020. The XFL is coming. For more information, Stay tuned to the RCR Radio Network. Welcome back to the Biblical Editorial Review with this topic called Black, 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 Black. And that particular topic that we are talking about is the sinful rights movement. And the main reason why this is a sinful rights, and it's going into different tantrums here. Um, main reason why it's a sin on a live front is because of how people live. It seems to me, if you look at the whole thing about the civil rights movement itself, it did it really help or hurt Americans, especially African-Americans. Before the civil rights movement, there were more Black-owned businesses, banks, hospitals, schools, law, law firms, and such much more. So what happened after the civil rights movement? Did the movement make African-Americans complacent? 
did we think that inclusion means success? Where are the Black-owned businesses and where are the Black hospitals and where are the Black Wall Streets? What happened to all that? All these are good questions to really ask, which is going to be on our second topic. Our second installment of this particular uh, thing will have my guest, um, Gary Benford. He is a the owner of a blog uh, of a Facebook page called I can't I can't remember. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more to Gary next week on this whole topic because it's a whole lot of things going on in Black America, and it's not Black America in, in America with Blacks. It's really need to be real truth on it because the problem we have right now. And I'm going to go into a little bit more about this theology again. It's that we have an identity crisis. We really do. And that's the problem we have. And we, if we don't really recognize the truth behind that, it's just that the whole thing is really come a common denomination. Here he is. Now, my biggest concern about what Christianity is that it suggests that the culture is more enlightened on justice than scripture is. You see, in fact, by definition, what Christianity is a type of narcissism. And it suggests that some Christians have been enlightened to a central message of the gospel that of Average Christians, particularly black Christians like me, are, are pivoting to. So the message is clear. Black Christians who aren't woke are sleeping in the truth, sleeping on the truth, I'm sorry, of black liberation and racial justice. So basically people like me and others are not woke yet. For this unpardonable sin against our skin, we stand condemned to be sunken place of pit, the purgatory, ghetto, fit for coons and Uncle Toms. This is what they talk about about us, who are conservative-minded and, and, and focus on the scriptures. Because we're not woke yet. And this is the problem we have here. If you genuinely believe that America is our oppressing black people today, it doesn't change anything. Black liberation theology is still heresy. Woke Christianity is still heresy. This is because the gospel isn't about liberation from oppression. Social justice isn't a gospel issue. It's never have. Racial justice is a central message of the gospel. And any theology that says otherwise is a shame of the gospel. The gospel doesn't have political implications. Not yet, not yet any, any way, anyhow, not until Jesus returns to establish his throne in the new Jerusalem. Until then, Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. If it were, his angels would fight to prevent every injustice in the world, including Jesus' crucifixion. 
But for now, Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. The gospel doesn't have any um, anything to deal with you know, the political implications. But if it has practical implications for us right now, the central message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ suffered a death on the cross and bearing our sins. He resurrected for our justification so that if we would trust in him, he, we would be declared righteous by God, saved from condemnation and sanctified for good works. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, for sins, liberation from hostility. And when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can obey God's word, including his command that God's people should hate evil, love good, establish justice in the courts. The gospel seems the gospel seems too foolish for the enlightenment and woke world. It is. It seems too weak for black power and black liberation. We should not ashamed, be ashamed of the gospel. The foolishness of God is wiser than the men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, why? Let's go into some details here about the NAACP. Because some people don't need to understand why the NAACP is evil. And it really that bad. And I'm going to tell you why it's so bad. Because if you look at the NAACP, it's a problem. Here he is. Now, back in the day, we used to call someone like that, you know, you know, crazy and everything else. Now, I want to remind you, when this incurs, I want really stuck in the front of the page of the guy, we call a Negro. I mean, that we call him a Negro. In fact, that he works for not for our people, but against our people. I want you to know about that. In the old days, we call him Uncle Tom. I'm just going to say that. Here it is the day after that. If you look at it, they still call us Uncle Tom. If you are a conservative and you are a Christian and you believe what the word God had to say, you're Uncle Tom. Because they said this NAACP is supposed to represent all color people, black conservatives, everybody, and Uncle Toms. But they don't. They represent who? The Democrats, the ones who are for them. And what about those people who are not like Uncle Toms, that are for the Democratic Party? Well, those people are liberal colors to let the whites, particularly those instrumental, get beat down to Negroes. You know, you know, it's really sad when blacks can't be themselves. 
But in the same time, the NAACP is cahoots and in bid with the Democrat Party. Why? Because they said we know black. We know Negro. We understand black people. That's not always true. And when you hear people act like that, you have to run away from people like that. And when you see that the civil rights movement itself, I mean, you, you got to really look at it. Civil rights movement did not help blacks. It really put them back a few more years. Who really benefit from blacks? It wasn't black people. It wasn't at all. The civil rights movement was not directly for black people. No. You know that the LGBTQ people are the ones who hijack the civil rights movement. I want you to think about that for a minute. What are you talking about, Cleveland? Well, I'm talking about this here. It's really, you know, really true. Because um, a lot of people don't know that they hijacked it. They did. If you look at what happened, I'm going to read this article to really give you at the similar way of why this is really prevalent. Because you need to understand something here. Is it similar? Here it is. Is gay rights movement similar to civil rights movement? I want you to think about that for a second. This is the same people that literally come to grips about. Can two different struggles, I'm going to read this here. This is from the Birmingham Times, which is part of the New York Times. Let's read this here. Can two different struggles differ two different time periods have similarities? Some believe that gay rights and civil rights movements are compatible. Debate.org recently surveyed online users about two movements. According to the results, nearly half of the respondents believe that gay rights movements are similar to civil rights movements. The movement. The rest believe the struggles are very different. However, are some comments from the people both sides say, yes, they are similar. Here they are. And we'll read these here. While it can't be compared to slavery, the fact that people want rights denied to certain people based on, on their moral and belief makes both movements the same. During the civil rights movement, people consider black people inferior to whites. During the gay rights movement, people believe gay people are monsters that will convert their children, which they are. 
While all these religions preaching the doctrine of love thy neighbor, people should do just that. Let everyone do what makes them happy and live their lives. That's one comment. Here's another one. I believe any oppression of people is all the same. I believe African Americans experience a different form of discrimination due to their skin pigmentation. If LBGTQ individuals were unable to hide their identity, the movement would have been synopsis in all regards. That's, an, that's another comment. Here's a third one. We may not have been enslaved, but does it mean we don't feel hurt all the same, but not being allowed to be with someone we love and face the dangers because of it? Just because we didn't endure years of hardship doesn't mean we don't have our fair share of discrimination for extremely illegitimate reasons that truly boils down to people's blatant fears of change and allow anything new to blossom. The fourth one, during the civil rights movement, we it was stated over and over that United Constitution clearly states that all men are created equal, although the fight for black rights may be more severe during the act of slavery, it does not change the fact that all men are created equal or, and all um, citizens of America deserve equal rights and equal treatment. The gay rights movement and the civil rights movement may be for two different causes, but this, the end, all those participant, participating in either movement are fighting for the same thing, freedom. This is sick. This is this is what happened when you invoke the the sinful rights. That makes you wonder about the civil rights. Is it really for blacks? Did it help them or hurt them? I think the latter. Let's continue. No, they are not similar. And here's the reason why they're not similar. The civil rights movement was based on a system of slavery and suppression that de denied blacks and other minorities the right to vote and hold certain positions in office. It was a much more profound movement than that affects millions as well as generations to come. The gay rights movement has an impact, but is nowhere near the extent of the civil rights movement. The second reason is the civil rights movement was about gaining voting rights, public accommodations, proper school funding for minority students, etc. People are more accepting of those in the gay rights struggle that they were of blacks and other minorities were who were part of the civil rights movement. Look at the footage of the civil rights movement and, and notice the extreme amount of violence there. You see little, if any, of this in the gay pride parades. That's true. Here's the third reason. There is a big difference between fighting for rights as a gay person and fighting for rights as a person of color. People of color had no choice when it comes to letting everyone know the color of their skin is different. 
is a reality that exists day in and day out. The color of their skin is always out there and everyone see it. And the last but not least, the fifth reason. Gay, no, I think that's right. Fourth reason, I'm sorry. Fourth reason. Gay has been, has not been refused to write the vote or the right of the same water fountain. They were not lent in masses. They were not forced to back uh, the back of the bus. That's true, but it's a little bit more to it. Did the gay rock, did the LBG community, did the LBGT hijack the gay rights? Did they do that? And yes, they believe. And that's really what's going on. The gay right, the, the people who are LGBT did hijack the civil rights movement. And this here proves why. And I'm going to read here at the Christian Post. No, because you need to understand some stuff here. And this is it. Are sexual orientation and gender identity the same as race? That message has been smug in all over the place. Now, I saw a commercial during the football game that inspired me and then irked me. A young black girl is shown to grow up in the civil rights era, watching the achievements of African-American athletes, politicians, after this, political after I'm sorry, and religious leaders, believing she can become anything if she set her mind to it. She fight for acceptance in financial firms, eventually graduated with an MBA and became Wall Street executive. You might troll me in your dirt, she said, but, but still, like dirt, I rise. That's, that's Now, this here proves this. It's a great message, but halfway through this ad of the University of Phoenix commercial, alumni Gail Marcus is shown marching hand in hand with the LGBTQ actors and waving a rainbow flag. The implication is crystal clear. The fight of American African-Americans for equal rights is the same one LGBTQ America's a fine today. Unbelievable. It is. It is. This, conf- this conflation between skin color and sexual orientation surfaced during the recent unrest of Charlotte, North Carolina. In an interview with the historian Brenda Tadell, public uh, radio international John Huckleberry suggested that protesters and rioters who took to the streets following the pollution of Lamont Scott were acting or actually angry about getting this. The new transgender bathroom law? Really? That's what's going on now? Hmm. That's interesting here. 
<laughs> this kind of racist exploitation has affected even the highest level of government. Now, back in May, US, the U.S. Attorney General Loretta Lynch filed a lawsuit against North Carolina to force accommodations of the transgender bathroom issue. Now, Loretta, this is in this stuff happened in 2016. Okay, all this happened in 2016. Okay, to get you to understand what's going on here. And this is a very, very important thing to understand here. This is very, very important to understand here. She did this. And this is, and you think about it, this is during the Obama administration time. The first black president. Okay? First black president. Okay? He did this. Let's continue on here, okay? Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit more, then we'll go ahead and discuss why. It was not so very long ago. She then lectured the nation that states, including North Carolina, had other signs above restrooms, water fountains, and public accommodations, keeping people out based on a distinction without a difference. It is a line is a line that has won the LGBTQ movement virtually endless mileage. Nobody wants to be on the wrong side of today's equivalent of the civil rights struggle or to be viewed like racist by future generations. But the facts remain. Two issues are just not the same. And black leaders, men whom fought for the rights to be treated as equal human beings decades ago, keep telling us this. Ryan, at the front of the Charlotte Observer last summer, Clarence Henderson, the chairman of the North Carolina Martin Luther King Jr. Commission, called it insulting like liking African-Americans, continuing struggle for equality to the LGBTQ movement. The language of civil rights shouldn't be hijacked to give a privilege to the political vocal while taking away freedoms from everyone, said Bishop Patrick Wooden at the gathering of the Black Faith Leaders in Raleigh and Pastor Leon Treat of Christian Faith Assembly in Charlotte agreed. Restrooms and showers separated by biological sex is common sense. Other African-American leaders upset with the Attorney General have pointed out something I told about on on the, on the, this recent post here of Breakpoint. Point. Break point. Research shows that vast majority of general deportee of children will later um, abandon their those feelings, and transgender individuals who transition from one sex to the other frequently have second thoughts. This is happening now. But we're not going to talk about that. We got other issues to talk about. On those foes like Walter Heron, he said this. Heron insists, based on his own experience that is contrast to race, people are not born transgender. And those who wholeheartedly believe that, they need 
a sense change often change their mind and go back. He added that the emotional devastation of buying the transgender lie can take a lifetime to heal. The civil rights comparison will continue to crop up, but we got to vocally and repeatedly point out what is false. Sexual urges does not determine who we are, who we are and recognize the fact that God created us male and female isn't racism, it's reality. In that same regard, this is a problem we have in our society today. We have so many people really prop themselves up and believe in a lie. And that lie result in believing in all kinds of stupidity behind of it. I know that sounds kind of harsh to some people to say, but that is really when it goes back to my first statement in the, in the last segment. He said, I don't, I despise stupid people. When, when you have this kind of sin going on, that kind of sin leads to other kinds of sin, which is pride. You love yourself that much to lie. So you won't tell people to believe in a lie, to chase a lie all over the world and trying to be able to stand on that lie, which is a bad, which is a false truth, which is a lie. So you can't just change words or sympathize things or uh, make things something that really is and isn't until you really realize that there's liars in the in the midst of it. That's the problem here. So that's why we have to base on this truth that we need to find out the sins. Is this really what it boils down to? And black people, especially blacks, are given to the lie. A lot of black people believe in intersexuality. What is that, Cleveland? Stay tuned. I'm going to talk more about that. America, get ready. Centuries carved of stone. Watchdogs over the metropolis. A prehistoric predator. A beast evolves, turned loose in a new kind of jungle. All teeth and talons, eyes unblinking. They know fear because they feed off it. They're your first line of defense, and there is no need for a second. The New York Guardians, on duty, February 2020. The XFL is coming. For more information, stay tuned to the RCR Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the Biblical Territory Review. Wow, um, <laughs> it's really amazing when you start reading the Word of God more on all of this stuff going on. I just talk about them now. We're going about to go into something about something really, 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 really weird, but true. And you're asking the question, Cleveland, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to talk about this called intersexuality. It's, a, it's really basically called intersexual feminism. 
And you probably want to know, what in the world are you talking about, Cleveland, now? Are you jumping the ship? No, this is actually still in the lines of this, this the, the sin, the sinful rights, you know, movement. This is really the sinful rights movement is part of it. And this is what it really is. And I'm going to give you the definition from the evil Wikipedia. And it's so many different angles of what it is that is really crazy. It's part of it's a branch of feminism. That's just what it is. Now, inserting how all aspects of social and political identities, which is gender, race, class, sexuality, and disability, etc. Discrimination overlaps or intercepts, for example, for example, I'm sorry, race with gender in the case of a black woman. That's one. The intersectionality aims to separate itself from white feminists of white feminism by acknowledging the fact that all women have different experiences and identities. It is quite allowable. Uh, analytic framework that identifies how interlocked systems of power affects those who are more marginalized in society. Then the term is coined by the by black feminist scholar Kimberly William Crenshaw in 1989. This girl. Wow, she's an idiot. Kimberly William Crenshaw. I'm going to give you a little synopsis of, of this feminist. You will see why she's a feminist. And you will see why you see what I'm talking about here. She's an American lawyer, civil rights advocate, and a leading scholar of critical race theory. What is critical race theory? I'm glad you want to know. It is a a hypothetical framework in the social science that uses critical theory to examine social and cultural culture as they relate to characterizations of race, law, and power. I want you to think about that. She got this. She's a lead scholar of this. Okay. She is. Okay. Who developed the theory of intersectionality? She is a full-time professor at the UCLA School of Law and Colonial Law School, where she specializes in race and gender gender issues. Crenshaw is also founder of Colonial Law School's uh, Center of Intersectionality and Social Policy Studies, which is called CLIPS or SIPS or something. C-I-S-P-S, you tell me in your comments. And African American Policy Forum, which is AAPF, as well as president of the Berlin-based Center of Intercessorality and Justice. That's her. Crenshaw is known for the industrial development of intercessorality, the theory of how Overlapping or intercept social identities, particularly minority identities, relate to systems, structures of oppression, 
domination or discrimination. Her scholarship was also essential in development of ancestral feminism, which is examines the overlapping system of oppression and discrimination to which women are subject due to the ethnicity, sexuality, and economic background. Yeah. I'm I'm just reading this here. She got issues. She yeah, she man, she she got issues. And this is here is an I'm that's just the women. It's another one here. And this here tells about me. I'm gonna read this here. It's called my brush keeper. Yeah, my brush keeper. The my brush keeper, everything else. And this is the it's a nationwide initiative to open up a ladder of opportunity for young men, males, and males of color. Crenshaw and other participants of the African American Policy Forum has expressed it, the opinion of various media that although the initiative may have good intentions, it it works in a way that excludes girls and particularly young girls of color. To address this problem, the AAPL started a campaign called Why We Can't Wait for the Inclusion in the My Brother's Keeper Initiative of All Youth, including girls and boys of color. This campaign has received a lot of support from all over leather signs by men of color, leather signs by women of color, leather sign of allies that believes in the cause. Now, this is the main reason why she said this. In an interview with Laura uh, Fanny's show, Crenshaw explains that the program was introduced as a response of the widespread grief from the African-American community after the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the case of the his shooting and killing Trayvon Martin, an unarmed African-American teen boy. Well, actually, it's a little bit more than that. That's a lie, but okay. See, that's why I say Wikipedia's lies. Is that she described the program as feel good, a fatherly initiative, but does not believe that it is significant or structural program that will help fight the rollback of civil rights. The initiative was not provide the kinds of things that will re- really makes the difference. She believed that because women and girls of color are part of the same communities and disadvantages as the underprivileged males that are focused on in the initiative, that in order to make it an effective program for the communities, is needed to include all members of of the community, girls and boys alike, which in other words, boys cannot be able to know things about boys because they got to have the girls involved pretty much. That's why in black communities now, boys are being emasculated. Single women are in these single mothers in these black communities are emasculating is uh emasculating these boys to not be a man. And when men do come and try to be teach them how to be men, 
women like her and others will fight tooth and nail to make sure that these boys get emasculated. That's the truth. So that's why these these that's why you got LeBron James act like a little a little girl when he don't have his way. That's why you have about almost ninety five percent of the NBA acting like little girls. It must return the WNBA and the NBA to one big old basketball league because that's what it is. They are a bunch of women. At least with the WNBA, they women, and even though they got lesbians in, but at least they women. These guys, the NBA, are like little women. I digress. Now, here's another reason why we can't wait. Women of color urgent inclusion, including my brother's keeper. June 17, 2014, a letter from more than a thousand girls of women of color. The letter is signed by women all ages and varies in, of backgrounds, including high school teens, professional actors, civil rights actors, remember, civil rights actors, and university professors commending President Obama, Lord have mercy, on the efforts of the White House, prime, privately, private philanthropy, and social justice organizations to urge the inclusion of young women and girls. The realignment will be important to reflect the values of inclusion, equal opportunity, and shared faith that has propelled our historic struggle for racial justice moving forward. Which, in other words, is this. And let me explain a little bit more detail here. Feminists don't like men. Okay? Feminists do not like women. There's a lot of women, even in churches, who are say they are pastors and preachers and things like that, are they don't like men. Prime example, I'm gonna give you one, Beth Moore. Enough said. Let's continue on here. May the 30th, 2014, the letter of 200 concerned black men, other men of color called for the inclusion of women and girls in my brother's keeper. He says, the letter is signed by multiple diverse men with different lifestyles, including scholars, recent incarcerated taxi uh, drivers, pastors, college students, fathers of sons, fathers of daughters, and more. All the men believing that the girls within the community uh, that these men share homes, schools, recreation areas, share a fate with one another and believe that the initiative is lacking in focus if they focus doesn't not include both genders, which is a lie. All of it is a lie. It really tells a whole different story about this woman. She's really a this woman is a hateful person. She don't. She's not married. I don't believe. Let's look a little more here. But it proves that she is a. Um, let's just say it like this. She's evil. This is evil. No. 
know, she's not married. According to here, um, no. According to here, she never been married. She remind me of so many people who act this way. It's a lot of people in the black community, right? In the black community, act this way. And you see this, this, this going on, 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 and on, and you wonder why this person has any reasoning whatsoever. She's a feminist. Feminists don't believe in marriage. They don't. And she's one of them. She's so focused on what she wants to do in life. No. She's she's not married. And, you know... You know, she believes in sexuality and everything else. That is really, really um, bad. Because this is really why blacks, males, not moving forward. You know, men of color, you know, men who really, truly wants to go forward. They can't. If you have all this stuff going on with people. See doesn't really like men. She don't. And you have so many women like that. And what can you do? What can you say? Only thing you can say is that this is a, this is a huge problem we have in our community. This you know this is why the amount of the people in the community today are not thriving. They can thrive, but they can't thrive. And the main reason why they can't thrive is because you have these things going on in the community. Let's continue on here. We're not done here about this ancestrality, okay? Now, here are the problems with the ancestrality that need to be said because a lot of people probably need to give a little dynamics here. There are various forms of social... um, Statification such as, you know, like we say, I'm gonna read all this class, race, sexual orientation, age, religion, creed, disability, and gender, which are included in the consideration of intersexual feminism and its social and cultural effects. The purpose of intersexuality is to identify that these forms of discrimination are related to one another and take these relationships into account when work working to promote social and political equality. Hmm. While the theory began, began as a um, exploration of the oppression of women of color within society, today the analyst has expanded into many more aspects of social identity. Intersexuality may be also related to the terms of triple oppression, which engages with similar themes. 
Now, a lot of critics has argued that intersectionality relies entirely on non-objective concepts such as system of power, which themselves lack of material, material reality, and therefore an implicable um, based on the study. This makes it a, a dollar, uh, an ideology and not a proper social, a sociological concept. And that's the main reason why that she brought this into play. And it's more into that if you think about what ancestrality really is, and this is some people don't understand about it. The, the main thing is that you are black, poor, disabled woman. That's pretty much your ancestrality. Feminists b- began to see ways to understand how gender, race, class combine and determine the female destiny. This is part of the feminist movement. And she is part of that. And the main reason why she's part of the feminist movement is because she's a feminist. And secondly, she is black. So you have all these different kinds of different ways of a woman to be. And this is the stigma is going on today with the sin, the sinful rights. What it's doing is this. You go in, if you are lesbian, black, poor, and feminist. That's your ancestrality. You got all these constructs going on with you. Okay? And society is trying to beat you down and try to destroy you. Because it is a feminine thought. And this is why it's really for black feminists. According to her acknowledgement of it. But they try to say this. Domestic violence and stuff going on with black women all the time. You got women who are lesbians, who has to be black and feminists and poor get raped by their like their their counterpart who has to be black, poor, and he's a male. But he's not he's not gay. But he rapes this woman. Well, she struggled, the woman who the lesbians struggle with is the cause of it. And the kicker with all this, she using Sojourn Truth, she using all kinds of women, which that's another key factor what's going on with this uh, sinful uh, sinful, uh, rights. They want to have rights. People who are sin like this, and this is prevalent in the black community, that they want these rights. They want to believe that they have the right to be in sin. What the church got to do with it? What does God have to do with all of this? Well, see, even go a little bit further here. See, even thinks that the church in many black cultures are the problem and need to be reversed and taught better. Here is where her Marxist feminist critical theory comes. This goes back to the civil rights thing. W.E.B. Du Bois 
theorized that the ancestral uh, um, paradigm of race, class, and nation might explain certain aspects of black political economy. Now, of course, Collins, which is, um, um, Cheryl, uh, um, I'm sorry, Patricia Hill Collins, sociologist, right, writes that the boys saw race, class, and nation not primarily as a personal identity uh, care, uh, uh, categories, but as social hierarchies that shape African American access to status, poverty, and power. The boys omit gender from his theory and considered it more of a personal identity category. This is Marxism. Hmm. But look at this, this more. Now, Cheryl Townsend Giga explains on this by pointing out the value of centering on the experiences of Black women. George James take, the, uh, take things on one step further by using the paradigms of intersexuality as intercepted social phenom uh, phenomena. Collins later inter uh, integrate these three views by explaining a Black political economy through the centering of Black women experiencing and the use of the theory framework of intersexuality. Now, Collins used Marxist feminism. That's what it is. Marxist feminism approaches and applies her intercessoral principles to what she calls the work family new, uh, newest and black women poverty. Now, this is in her 2000 article, Black Political Economy. She describes how, in her view, the intersections of consumer racism, gender hierarchies, and the disadvantages of the labor market can be centered on Black women' unique experiences. That's true. That's true to them. That's not true in the Bible. Considering this from a historic perspective and examining interracial marriage laws of prop. Uh, property inheritance law created what Collins terms as distinctive work slash family nucleus that is ter uh, term influences the overall patterns of black political economy. For example, anti-marginalization laws effectively suppresses the upward economy mobilization of black women. So the intersectionality of race, gender, has been shown to have a viable impact of the labor market. Really? It has to them. Sociological research clearly shows the account the, the account of educa uh, for education, experience, and skills does not fully explain significant differences in labor market outcomes. The three major domains in which we see the impact of intersectionality are wages, discrimination, and domestic labor. Those who experience privilege within the social hierarchy in terms of race, gender, and social economic status are less likely to receive lower wages, 
to be subject to stereotypes and discriminated against or to be hired for exploitative domestic positions. Studies of the labor market and intersectionality provide a better understanding of economic inequalities and the implications of the multidimensional impact of the race and gender on social status within society. This is, in other words, a ideology. Is a Marxist ideology. And this here is evil. This is why it's so bad in our culture today, in the culture today, that these sinful rights that people want that's going on in communities, especially communities in the urban core, it's really pragmatic because if you look at it, there's a problem we have. Where's the fruit? All these things that people are fighting to have and everything. Where's the fruit? And the more, 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 more people trying to give all these things into account, where's the fruit? This is being preached into churches every day, every Sunday, and in every home. Single women preaching to their sons and daughters. Black single women. And they got that bitterness inside of them. And it's a lot of people that's teaching these, these young men to become what? Emasculated. You know, there's a lot of things on YouTube that say, stop emasculating our men. Well, how can you stop something that you create? How can you stop something that you design? How can you stop being the person who is the problem? Well, here's another problem here. All of this I'm talking about tonight is sin. And this is the first installment of it because this is there's this is this, this is what's going on in the black community as of right now. This is this is the thing why black, 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 black is always some kind of going wrong with black people. But it shouldn't be. It's nothing really wrong with blacks. It's really what's wrong in the hearts of them. Well. This is the first installment, and we're going to continue next week with my guest, Gary Benford. Don't, and you will love it. So that's all for me tonight. Stay tuned. We have much more to cover when we continue on with this series, Black, 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 on the Biblical Editorial Review. God bless you, and see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Biblical Editorial Review. We hope this broadcast has challenged you to see this world from God's perspective. Tune in next time for another Biblical Editorial Review. The Biblical Editorial Review with Cleveland Rhodes is copyrighted by the Resilient Christian Radio Network.